Any personal views expressed here are our own and those of our guests and not representative of the Seattle Sounders, Sporting Kansas City, and Orlando City, or Major League Soccer. And welcome to PSAT's podcast. My name is Paul Lombardo, and I'm here with Mitch Toda, Eric Schwartz, and our first guest, Sean Kupiak. Sean is the head athletic trainer for the Los Angeles Football Club, or LAFC for short, and he has held the position since the club's inaugural season in 2018. Sean received his bachelor's in athletic training from Springfield College in Massachusetts and has completed his master's in athletic training from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Oh, big time there, Sean. Big time. Chapel Hill. Interesting. His first job upon, uh, upon graduating from UNC, UNC was an NFL internship in the New England Patriots until he accepted the job as head athletic trainer with the New England Revolution at the start of the 2008 MLS season until the conclusion of 2012. Since then, he has been in a the head athletic trainer for three other MLS clubs, Chivas USA, Minnesota United, and his current club, LAFC. Welcome to the podcast, Sean, and thank you for being one of our inaugural guests of Peace Out Podcast. Did I miss anything on that bio? Um, well, I don't want to sound like I'm just jumping from job to job, so the, the th- I'll, I can provide some context on the three other MLS clubs and all that stuff. But no, I feel like that's a pretty good uh, synopsis of athletic training positions. Okay. All right. Well, I mean, again, if you want to elaborate on any of these, you sure. you more than well. I don't know if a lot of these people would understand what the first, your club of the of Chivas USA. Can you explain a little bit about Chivas? Like, I'm pretty sure a lot of people don't understand that uh, that was a club in MLS at one point. Sure, sure, absolutely. And I think we'll I think we're going to get to that as we go through my kind of chronology. But if you'd, um, yeah, if we want to start, and I can, I'll get to it along the way. I think it's it, it'll unfold. Okay, great. Perfect. Yeah. So what we're going to try to do is just ask questions, kind of get a little background, get to introduce you as, you know, as our, you know, your PSATS president and kind of ask some questions just kind of how you got to where you are sure. in your career. Absolutely. So can you tell us about like your transition in your early years of athletic training? Can you tell us how you went from college athletics, maybe as a graduate assistant to NFL, then becoming the head trainer in an MLS uh, club. Sure. Yeah. Um, The college athletics, obviously I was very, very lucky as you mentioned to go to the university of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. Um, It was a two year grad program. So um, I was lucky going into college to begin with, because I decided my senior of high school that athletic training sounded like an interesting profession to me and I'd like to try it. And I had great experiences at Springfield. I feel like I had great faculty. And then you get four years into your college career and it's what are you going to do next? And so I was like, well, I could go one of two ways. And originally my brother, um, my I have a brother, he's four years older than me. He originally coming out of college was a phys ed teacher in Syracuse, New York. And so I was like, oh, well, what if I just become a high school athletic trainer? And probably the pathway to that is also being the physical education teacher, right? And then um, had some more conversations with people and they're like, well, you should go to grad school, you should get your master's and um, look around at some schools that you might be able to provide a graduate assistantship at. So early in my senior year, started that process and it quickly became evident that I'd much rather work in higher level or continue working with athletics and not necessarily 
get the absolute grind because those people are, are soldiers, the people that, that do that type of work, work all day and then start their athletic training job. Like I commend them greatly. Uh, um, but I decided that's not the route I wanted to go. So um was lucky enough, got an interview. Um, it was quite intensive and ended up being fortunate enough to get one of their positions. At the time, they had um, nine positions a year. And it was a two-year program. So um, moved down to North Carolina, which I was very happy about because I'd spent my entire life in the Northeast with snow and winter, none of which I like. So um, that was fantastic. And I didn't really come out of my shell, I would say, until junior year of college anyway. And so I the two years of grad school were almost probably like most people's junior year and senior year of college. So my GA experience was crazy. If I look back to it from a time management perspective, because I was teaching classes, you had to teach phys ed classes to students. Um, so I taught swimming and then my second year I taught swimming and ultimate Frisbee. And how you, sorry, how do you teach ultimate frisbee? Oh, this well, is a, this is like gold right here. Game and all the different throws, like forehand, backhand, the hammer throw. So we go out on the field here sometimes, and we we throw the frisbee around. It's fun. Um, and then I had a buddy who taught golf at the same time. So anytime it was raining, uh, our two classes played dodgeball against each other. So it was a standing competition between our two courses, uh, our two classes. So, um, so we taught classes. We took classes. Uh, we had to provide athletic training coverage to our assigned teams. So for me, I got the the absolute gauntlet of cross-country, wrestling, and track and field. So um, how, many, how many athletes was that? Yeah, Hundreds? Yeah. I mean, on the, on the track team, yeah, it was, I think, probably total, all told, like 135, <laughs> 150 athletes, right? And easy. Um, so it was, it was a grind. It really was a grind. And then on top of that, it's well, my life outside of all that, if any was left for, um, me as a, a student, like, and as a human. So, um, it did not fail every Thursday night, we would go out to eighties night, um, and start the weekend on Thursday night, but then have to be right back up for Friday and a normal Friday for everything. So, um, back then we could do that now. No, not so much. So uh, that was a really good um, lesson on ha- having to juggle all of those those different responsibilities and um, from a time management perspective. So um, at the end of grad school, it was, well, what are you going to do at the end of school again? And uh, was interviewing actually with the Buffalo Bills and Sean Gibson, who I believe is down with the New Orleans Saints right now, if I'm correct. But Wonderful guy. If anybody's met him, uh, I'm sure everyone would say the same thing. And they, I believe, ended up offering us for a seasonal internship. They ended up offering it to someone that they had had at a camp before. And he called me up. And this is about February of my uh, second year. And he's like, hey, Sean. And it sounded like he was like breaking up. And I'm like, it's okay. Like, totally get it. Right. And um, but after that, I was like, wow, like. I haven't really thought about it. Um, And. This will come down later, I think, in the conversation about kind of any advice and stuff. But um, so that really stuck in my head of, hey, that would be something like I'm mad that I didn't get it. I'd like to I'd like to pursue that and and see if it's really something for me. So NATA rolls around that summer and I get a phone call from 
the former quarterback at Springfield College. I'll name him. His name is Mike Judge. He's one of the uh, assistant coaches with the Miami Dolphins right now. I'm not sure if he's quarterback's coach or, or whatnot. Um, but he essentially was family friends with the Belichicks and was on staff with the Patriots at the time as an offensive quality control person. And anyone who's worked in football knows that he is paying his dues, right? He is there. He is like doing tons of, of labor of love. And um, they, the way that I understand the situation had an athletic training intern not show up. And so they were about to start training camp. So he calls Springfield college and says, Hey, we're in need of somebody. Do you have anybody? And then the head athletic trainer, um, still there, Barkley Duggar calls me up. He says, Hey, do you have anything? I said, no, not yet. I'm at NATA, you know, meeting people, having good conversations. And he said, would you be interested in this? And I still have some of my best friends in new England that I went to Springfield with. And I'm like, wow. Like if you had told me when I was interviewing for the bills that I'd have the potential to have that NFL opportunity, but get to do it in a place where I actually have friends, like what an amazing opportunity. So um, next thing I know, I'm up in new England uh, doing that. And it was, as you can imagine, like a well-oiled machine, like that thing, I, for better or worse is why I am how I am today. And I'm sure I picked up some good habits and I'm sure I picked up some bad habits, but um, that was my first introduction into like the work environment, obviously collegiate athletics. Yes. But I was also a student. It was blurry, right? I wasn't a student. I wasn't a, a you know, a staff athletic trainer for a team that was under my watch solely. Right. So, and not that I was running the show in new England, but here I am stepping up first, first experience with professional sports into that juggernaut at the time. And so um, the, the things for me that I gained from New England the most were uh, situational awareness and attention to detail. So that's what I tell anybody that I'm talking to from a, like a hiring standpoint or whatever. Like if you handle those two things, well, you're going to handle any situation, right? And it's when I tell you that every single person on staff knew under every circumstance what their job responsibility was, like that's what it was like there. Like you didn't worry, not that you wanted bad situations to happen, but you felt very prepared to handle any situation that came. And so I'm really thankful for that because what do we deal with on a daily basis, right? In any number of situations. So, um, but it was a grind, right? And so that's what the professional sports life is. It's not necessarily just professional sports, right? But it's, it's a grind. So it taught me some really good life lessons and early on about, hey, this is how it's going to be if you, you want this life. Um, so during the first year, it's a funny story. I was, we were in green Bay and we had these mini hydroculators, the four pack hydrocks. And so we would have them set up in the locker room. And then as it got closer to game time, we'd bring them out to the field level and plug them in. Well, they are filled with water and I have to walk and some places have much different, um, pathways than others, right? Buffalo brings to mind, like very painful, very long, um, ramp, uh, and a walk from the locker room, but green Bay had these stairs and all these twisting hallways. And I'm carrying this hydrock that is pouring hot water all over my hands. Right. And I'm just trying to go down and set up for the game. And Jim Whalen, he's still there had athletic trainer. 
Um, he was taping Teddy Bruschi's ankle and he stopped in the middle of it. And he goes, Sean, what are you doing next year? And I was like, I don't know. Um, my hands are burning. Um, and I was like, I don't know what, like, what can, what can I do? Like what you have a problem? Like, let me solve it. Like, what can I do? And he's, he's like, Oh, um, well, would you like to come back next year? And I was like, yes, yes. Thank you very much. And then I as, as your hands are completely and, 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 and <laughs> so went and finished setting up, but I thought it was really cool. Like it was a really neat way for him to do it. I don't know if he'd been planning to do it or whatnot, but um, I'd had a couple experiences there, um, including when I ended up moving to the MLS where Teddy was specifically involved or like it was, it was really neat. And so of course I, um, I came back the next season. And so for the people like me who now feel very old, um, and even though I'm not old, but that was the 2006 season. So anybody who likes NFL or whatever, um, that was the season that we lost an 18 point lead at halftime in the AFC championship game. And then the season I came back for was the season that we were undefeated and lost in the Super Bowl. So I had a very interesting NFL experience, like, like probably short of winning, right. A probably one of the better experiences you can possibly have. Right. It was, it was wild. It was fast paced. It was done in like the blink of an eye. Um, but it, it taught me a, a, a lot, right? Because there's a lot to pack in. So that's why anytime as well, we get candidates that have a diverse experience background or especially some football. Like I understand that they're going to be able to handle a certain level of tasks, right? A certain level of multitasking that's involved, a variety of grunt work to, you know, menial tasks to, hey, th- this is highly important. Like you're the running point on this and I need you to be I need you to be on top of it. I need you to be the resource. And so um, that I always feel more comfortable for some reason when I know that someone has that experience, just knowing that their ability to handle their bandwidth. Right. So then. So you, sorry, um, sorry, to interrupt yeah. you, but I'm going to bring up an, an example. I mean, for me personally, I've been in that situation too, where you've been like, you go to grad school, you're mm-hmm. actually a head trainer for a, you're covering two teams. And then you're also trying to teach and understand that I can totally sympathize with that on top of the fact that when you get into professional sports, people look at you, not nickel you different. They just expect you to have this higher level of, of sure. thought of processing things. And when you, I don't know if I can, anyone else can relate on this, but I, like you get students in now, or you have intern students or anything like that. Do you, what are you, what are you bestowing on them? you know, my question to you is what are you going to bestow on them advice wise to, to, to stand out, I guess, in a way. Oh, right. So, um, so for me, from the standpoint of if, if I've got somebody like new and young, um, network is probably the first one, right? Network. Uh, I have a bunch of probably real life stuff, but network is kind of a catch all. I can, so if, if you're in, in college, like speak to your instructors, speak to your professors. Um, are there alumni, right? That's the quickest way, right? To, to, to get some kind of connections, um, seek opportunities out. So one of the perfect examples of seeking out an opportunity, I have two grad school class or I'm sorry, undergrad classmates who between our junior and senior year did the Cape Cod baseball league, like wonderful experience. Like these guys are going to be professional baseball players and you get to go and run one of those teams for the summer in like Cape, like, and, and you're a college student. So, um, 
those are opportunities. Um, stretcher crew, we for soccer specific, we have 29 teams. I don't know how everyone operates their stuff, but maybe there's an opportunity for people to hop on stretcher crews, to be volunteers um, at any level. First team, second team, academy, right? Um, be on the look for, be on the lookout for internships. I know, um, you know, we're trying to do some stuff as a society, which is great. The NFL has great opportunities um, as well. There are that. That's the big thing on kind of both of those two things is like l- pick your pick your head up, look in front of you, see the forest through the trees. Don't just be so narrow focused, right? Um, there are opportunities out there if you look for them. I just brought up a couple and now fellowships, right? So um, there are all these different levels in which you can get involved somehow. You're, um, you're, you, you have a fellowship to unpaid in some places of, of just being around people and stuff like that. I know that we can't really have unpaid interns and stuff anymore, but there are ways to be around the environment or to be, you know, be impactful in the environment actually at a level in which you're going to get to learn as you go. Right. So seek out those opportunities, um, attending courses and meetings, right? Like, um, the MLS symposium, I know, that we have had people attended on their own, not associated with the league who have actually achieved a level of head athletic trainer in major league soccer. So this is someone who was a grad student at the time and has been a head athletic trainer in this league, right? Just from going to the MLS symposium, networking with us there. Um, NATA, one, obviously a wonderful thing. Not everyone can do it, but, um, biggest bang for buck, right? You're going to be around the largest collaboration of athletic trainers at the time. NFL puts on a meeting. Um, you know, we have aspirations there from the standpoint of putting some content together. Um, that's where you, you can run in, especially with alumni parties, right? That, that kind of ties in with that first thing. It's like all of us went somewhere, right? And so all of us, are in this because we care because we like give back. Right. And it, it just lines up very, very perfectly with, Hey, like would Sean, would you speak to this student that's, that's coming up? They're interested in athletic training in the professional setting in soccer. Boom, boom, boom. Like it's just natural. That stuff happens organically at those um, with courses. When I took my dry needling course in uh, 2017, the Atlanta Hawks actually hosted it. Not that anyone like it was limited to the Atlanta Hawks, but they just hosted the venue. Over 50% of the athletic trainers taking that course were in professional sports. So, but there were several people not involved in any type of professional sports. If you take a course of some kind of skill that you're trying to add to your tool belt and the rest of the class is comprised of people in the setting that you want to be in, like, Good for you. You have some people that you're sharing a mutual experience with over three days, right? In a very intimate setting where you're sticking needles in each other. Um, Like that's a wonderful opportunity. And that happens across all disciplines, right? So um, I would encourage that we have their social media now um, websites. We have websites like reach out. Like if, if you're, if you're curious, do that. And then I think the last thing with, with that is as long as you work hard and take pride in your work, like that will show, right? Like, it, I always say to people, like, sometimes it's not about what you know, it's about who you know. But when you get there, you better know, 
what you're talking about, right? So it's not like, don't slack on the knowing, but sometimes you get there by, um, by knowing somebody and that happens everywhere in life. But if you get that opportunity, like you need to pay it forward. You need to make sure that the person who vouched for you or gave you the opportunity, you make them look good by being like, I made, I made this decision easy for you recommending me, right? Like I'm going to make you look at, and then it's passing it on. How can I, you know, do the same thing for others or another person start with one. Right. So I, I think that that would be under the network bucket. I think that that would be my long winded, what advice, one, what one piece of advice would I give to someone? Sean, I, first off, love, love that from you because I think networking and taking advantage of your opportunities is, is huge. And I just found it so fascinating as you were talking, you know, just in your early years, I guess this would have been 05, 06 ish um, of, of just even how you got that opportunity to work with one of the best football teams ever, to be honest, right? That New England team. Is that when Randy Moss was there too? I was there when Randy Moss yeah, was there. So, so you're dropping, and you know, the funny thing is he's dropping He's dropping a lot of names. And like, he's good. like, I'm like, Teddy Bruschi, I, go, I, I used to watch that guy in college at University of Arizona. That is like- um, You're making me feel- I'm exactly. <laughs> I'm just saying I'm right there with you. I just have I started my career a little later, but I mean I yeah. get your point. Like you've been around some very like good teams. Yeah. yeah. It's, and it's, it's not good. that like it's not that I like bring up Teddy Bruski because oh it's like Teddy Bruski is somebody that's famous. It's it's like Jim wasn't taking care of somebody that he could be like, this guy doesn't matter. Like like uh, this guy's down the depth chart and I'm gonna like take away from his care to to do this. And that's why I was saying like, when I like my jump from the Patriots to the revolution, like, and that's why I said like Teddy was involved. I had a very good relationship with Teddy personally, as we, as we develop like relationships with all athletes. Right. And so what ended up happening was they had, and so the evolution of MLS, right. And athletic training, they had one athletic trainer on staff at new England. He had a funeral during the year that he had to attend and he had no coverage option, right? Cause he was the only person. So luckily for him, they were owned by the same owner. They were in the same building. And so I just get told one day, Hey, you're covering for the revs today because their athletic trainer can't be there. And so literally, I think I covered two practices for them and right off the bat, like it was a great group of guys. They, um, but they like started like it was, you know, joking around and all that yeah. stuff uh right from the from day one and um so at the end of the year that guy decided he wasn't coming back and so that's how the whole revolution thing came about to begin with so before our last game i had interviewed to take that job so i knew before going into the to the um going before the super bowl i knew that i was going at the end like hey i'm popping over across the hall and some of those guys, Teddy included, Randy included, like did this really cool thing at our last practice before we left for Arizona um, after Bill gave a speech and everything. And it really goes to show how like sometimes when you're in it and it's just the the wheel is turning and you're just in the current and it's going um, and you may not think that people notice or you may not th- think that people care like here was an opportunity where in front of the entire team where we are about to go play in one of the biggest games ever played that they took the time out to like, like thank me for what I had done and wish me well. Like it was really like, 
when I think back of moments like that is one of the most memorable moments that I have is because I always tell people, they're like, oh, we'll see you on TV. I'm like, you never want to see me on TV. It's really bad when you see me, like, because that means something is wrong that I need to take care of as little or as big as it is. And so, you know, we, we tend to be these people that like to be in the background, right? And just, it's not about us. It's not about what we do. It's how can we make the situation the best outcome as possible, but then let me get back to being ready to deal with the next situation, right? So, um, yeah, so that's how I ended up in, in New England to begin with. No, that's, a, is, that's, a, that's a great story and a uh, right place, right time in a way, potentially. Right. Right. You know, honestly, um, that that's, that's a, I mean, just, you know, thinking back to 2006, you know, like that's a pretty progressive move from the uh, new England organization to, to kind of, you know, shift things around and, and, you know, appropriately staff what they need to. Yeah. Um, it, it was, it was, um, I was, it was moving fast at the time too, right? Like in today's age, right. That can't, that move can't happen. Right. We have rule like if that were today, that would not have been able to happen either. And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing either. Right. So here you like and don't get me wrong, like there is and they say this right. Like you you learn X amount, like you learn twice as much in the first year outside of grant like than you are already learned. Right. Like it was obviously a tremendous learning curve. But by that point in time, you're taught, like I'd had, you know, four years of doing stuff beforehand right but now it's like you're the person right you're the only person uh you have some resources as physicians and stuff like that and i was great like i had the the guys across all because i still helped out with the patriots when i like left right if they were going and they needed rehabs done tonight but it's like i did have that still right as a, as a and it was like the perfect support that i needed uh, as a young head athletic trainer starting out and um, the athletic trainer that left ended up being my part-time assistant athletic trainer, which is a challenging dynamic. But the reality of the situation is he wasn't around a lot. Right. And part-time uh, varies. And so I would say it was on the lower end of part-time, but also another resource, right. Of, Hey, this is how I used to handle the situations. And so um yeah, I had a lot of support and uh, I'm very grateful for it, obviously. And so, yeah, that was the, that's what, especially I missed entrance physicals, right? I missed entrance physicals for my first season because I was flying back um, from Arizona and not in a good way. So um, yeah, that, that was the start of, of me getting into um, the 2008 MLS season, which yeah, a, a drastically different landscape than, than 2023. So I ask you. Oh, sorry, Paul. No, just say, say, Joe, go, go, go. Uh, I was going to ask. Just had, had you had any soccer experience? Did you play? Did you like the game, or was it just one of those like, hey, this is an amazing opportunity. I need to jump on it. Obviously, your your career kind of skyrocketed from the get go. But uh, so, yeah. Go ahead. Uh, no, I was just going to say, oh, okay. like, yeah. Did you have any any soccer background yeah. at all? Were you interested in the league? So I played soccer since I was three years old. My mom taught nursery school with the woman who ran AYSO locally. And so I grew up starting playing at three years old, played through high school. Um, and okay, what, position? Hey, what, what position? Got no positions. Oh, yeah. uh, left wing. Oh, left. Okay. Yeah, I was, yeah. So, so still rocking, rocking the Copas you do now or what? 
You know what? I, I what's, I'm, I'm from modest means. I could not afford the Copas growing up. I did have the Kaisers, I believe, that were the lower division down. Um, I do believe my senior year of high school, I did have Copas, though. Um, but yes, I'm still rocking those. Um, and so I played, I did play intramurals at Springfield. We were quite menacing. Um, but I played some kind of form of organized soccer, whether it be intramurals, AYSO through intramurals in college, through grad school play. Like I need, I need to be like, have an occupation, right? So I'm, I'm done with school. So 2006 is when I stopped playing or any type of involvement in soccer, but like, it was a big part of my life, right? From that's what I enjoyed most. And I did um, swimming and track as well as sports in high school. Um, and so if you've ever seen swimming or track, I am naturally fast, which was translated on the soccer field well. But if you've ever seen people that are like, that swim, like you will watch the Olympics, those people are a different read. I am not one of those swimmers. I can, I can survive in the water, which I feel is probably one of the most important life skills to have. hundred percent. Right? But, but I am not by any means a fast swimmer. <laughs> right. And so, um, uh, I think soccer was was the most fun for me because you know you're not just running you're 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 thinking you're doing dynamic activities and you have this ball that you're in your it's track you're running in a lane like you're essentially just in prison for whatever distance you're in because you're locked into that lane and um you know soccer's free flowing and it's a team sport right like you can directly impact other people and so um definitely enjoyed it growing up did not see myself like ending, you know, in 2005 and 2006, if you had asked me, you know, Hey, listen, is this where you're going to be in 2023? I didn't, hadn't really thought about it the most, but I would probably be a little surprised to be honest with you. Um, and so, yeah, that, that's, that's kind of my background in, uh, so so needless to say, you you understood the sport and you were pretty excited about that opportunity. I still am confused daily and (laughs) weekly, but, but you know, all of us are not, that's part of, that's part of it. But, um, it's uh, one, one thing that I do, I feel like, I, you know, we've got, you know, so many of us now, which is so wonderful to see, right? Like just under 90. Um, and I think we all have varying degrees of how we conduct ourselves better or worse, right or wrong. Like, how do we feel about things? And one thing that I try personally to do is like, I don't get involved in the emotion of of the sport and and i feel like it's probably one of the more emotional sports right like from culturally right and then you the stabs and they all and it becomes this this family brewing thing on the bench right too but especially right and so i feel like if you ever see a photo of me um on the bench it's probably going to look very similar like i probably look like you're like Sean. What are you even doing there? Like, it, I'm. I probably look just like I'm. So, so I'm gonna bring around, the, this, this side note. In. Side note here. It's funny. Funny thing is, I'm I'm <laughs> flipping through social media and I see one of my former players who I worked with in Dallas. You're having a conversation. It looks like you're having a conversation with him over the by a water cooler, and and you've gone sleeveless. And I'm like, is that Sean? Oh, oh is this recently? This is like as of a day ago. It's tough. So I, this is tough. I, I mean, oh, you gotta send us this, man. <laughs> I'm like sitting there. I'm like, I text, I read, messaged my the player. I'm like, man, when did Sean go sleeveless? Man, yeah, um, it's I my my level of sun exposure, even though I'm in California, is it's not great. 
And so I'm trying to, you know, not be clear. Like I, that's how like <laughs> transparent <we're> blind <laughs> people. Like I don't want to glow in the dark, um, which I feel like I do right now. So um, yeah. And it's, it, you know, it, that's kind of the same thing too. When you're in the environment, like a lot of like, it's kind of the, the staff banter in the locker room. Right. And so it's like, Oh, we have these, like, why not? Why not me? Why can't I wear a sleeveless? Right. Yeah. So yeah, no, I was out there today. Yep. With my sleeveless. All right. Well, I mean, don't judge me though. No judging, no, no judging, no judging. So you, you, you go back and you always are kind of referencing 2008, kind of your starting type of yep. your career. And then now you, and you, and you also referenced the fact that where you are now, mm-hmm. what is the biggest change you've seen with MLS, not just in team growth, but like overall as medical staffs, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. Like, what are those, what are things that you're seeing evolution through evolution yeah. of, of the league? So I remember sitting in Fort Lauderdale in a room that was far less than 30 of us, like probably 20 people. Right. And we've got like Jay, Jay Matthews, Brian Goodstein, Chet North, Bruce Morgan, like these guys that were were around at the, at the the very start. Theron was there. Right. Um, I've been, left right when I came in the league to take the national team job. So Armando was, was in uh, LA at the time. And um, they were, it was so, I don't want to say more informal or anything like that, but like, it's just gotten bigger. Right. And, and standards have gotten, have changed and, and we've had policies, procedures and stuff like that. But I remember being in a room with one representative from the league kind of coming and talking to us and the growing pains we were having from the standpoint of, we didn't have an electronic medical record at that time, keep in mind, right? We, we didn't have mandated number of staff positions. So lots of teams had one, maybe two people. Hence right? New England when you went. Right. Yeah. And, and so um, our efforts to try to make like standardization, Right. That's what I remember of like, it almost felt like you were down in a like Springfield College. Perfect example. The basketball arena. Right. It's this big circle. You go down a ramp and it's there are no windows because you are underground. It's concrete blocks. Right. And that's what it felt like. Right. Like it felt like you were um, in the basement somewhere, you know, fighting the good fight and but you were just like, hey, we're making progress, we're making progress. And now it feels like we're in this brand new shiny facility that we all get to hang out in, right? And we have these meetings and like, we're throwing our own stuff now, right? Versus just like, back when I started at the symposium, the combine was also still going on. And we were providing athletic training coverage for the games that were happening for these college students. So we'd be dipping in and out of meetings to provide coverage for these games. Like that's what it was when we originally started. And, and I remember progressing to them finally making per diem athletic trainers available to cover those games so that we could attend all the meetings. Right. And then staff bumps up to a second. And I think it was, gosh, 2011. They kind of passed that. I think that that's when they passed the second. I think to be to be honest, I think it was the second when they passed because I came in the league. I think two was geez, mm-hmm. 2010, 2011, I was interning, 
But then I remember yeah. hearing stories. And I think my first time going to the combine, I remember having, like you said, you go to the combine, that's part of your, like, you go to get your meetings, your CEUs, and then yep. your league meetings. And then you're, oh, by the way, you have to cover training. It's this team's this team's year this year to, to cover the training room during for the hotel. Yeah. And I'm like, really? They, they want us to miss things that we need to know about yeah. for the season. It just didn't make sense to me at the time. Again, I was new. I was, I was yeah. newbie. But I got it. But I also went down to the elbow room in Fort Lauderdale. I've experienced yeah. that. So nice plug for the elbow room, which does have a website with cameras that are time delayed as they should be. Um, it is an institution down there. I'm sure it is. Uh, it withstood the test of time. It has. It has. Um, it has. Yeah. And so like you're talking about, yeah, it, it, it was a we covered entrance physicals. It was a rotation of the staff. It, it, and so it's one of these things we've come so far. Right. Um, and now I think what we're seeing now we have a mandatory third, right? We have a required physical, like it is our staffs have grown. The teams have grown. The resources obviously have grown. I think that um, we're also seeing now we're in the midst of a, of another transition, which is we're getting these directors in the medical side. And so, you know, there were, performance directors that came in kind of at the start of this and a there's the separation of that and medical and unless that um performance director is medical right which we have a couple of those which is wonderful to see and so i think we're in that transition now and and that's the most exciting to me because all of us understand the amount that we have to do because it's not just the first team that everyone sees on TV every weekend. It's the, it's the second team. And then it's, you know, the seven teams that people have under Academy. So when you start talking about having 200 athletes per club to manage and you're staffing it with X number of people, right? We're, we're starting to see this need to keep it all together and organized and linear. Hey, it be are you able to grow assets? You know, don't want to treat people like assets, but at the same time, like, are you able to see this, the potential in this individual care for them up through your system? And then they're either the perfect fit for your system or, Hey, it's part of their growth. They're going to go elsewhere, but then the team potentially benefits in some way because of that. Right. It, it's we're, we're starting to see this almost major league baseball, right type shift into wow we need to provide this pathway and an organized pathway right and it's this is our this is our way of doing stuff right like it's the patriot way right like that that's what you're seeing right it's it's seattle it's lafc it's orlando it's kansas city it's like this is how we take care of people this is our methodology but why just instill it at the top you know we get the we get the assembly line, which also um, leads to a lot of good growth linearly within the organization for the medical staff too, right? You you're providing this opportunity for people to get in at an entry level, and before you know it, staff turnover happens all the time everywhere. Um, now you have a tried and true, reliable resource that has been in the doors with you, you know, just, just down the hall or, you know, with a team practicing a little later in the day. Right. And so 
I, I think we're in the midst of that. I really think that we're on the cusp of that potentially being something that the league in a year or two says, hey, we're mandating that this has to happen because um, of the importance of the resources, right? And so with it, with it being a single entity league, that's one of the benefits, right? Is, is the attempt to make a level playing field because all of the resources they, they need to be interested in because it's not just franchise based and we're going to pay you $150 million over two years because we feel you're worth it. Um, it's that we need to take care of the whole for all of us to, to sustain, right? It's the, the rising, rising tide, right? So um, I think we're in the midst of that. I think we're in the, the, the next evolution of medical. And I think that that's probably going to be what it is. Thank you for listening to part one of a two-part episode with PSAT's president, Sean Kupiak. Please stay tuned for part two, where the group discuss the evolution of PSATs, Sean shares his accomplishments, and we get to know what Sean does outside of soccer. Thanks again to everyone who took their time to listen to today's podcast. To check out more about PSATs, you can find us at psats.net. That's P-S-A-T-S dot net. You can also follow us on Instagram or Twitter at PSATS underscore official. Any potential job opportunities, updates in the league, or just the latest news from the professional soccer athletic trainers around the country will be posted there. Please feel free to email us at psats.pr at gmail.com or use those platforms to reach out with any questions you may want us to dive into on the podcast or just general questions as well. We're happy to answer them as soon as we can. Thanks again and have a great day.